been sold the idea that financial independence is all about some number on your account statement, or even worse, that you don't qualify because of where you started out. That's just not true. It's not about some well-kept secret of the wealthy. It's about finding the right information and knowing how to apply it. On the Get Ready for the Future show, we're answering your questions so you can start making real financial change today. The journey to true financial independence begins right here, and it starts with you. Always here to help people discover, protect, and share true financial independence. That's what we do every day at Genwell Financial Advisors, and it is our goal here on the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome once again to another edition of the show. My name is Scott Inman, Janet Walker with me today as we enter October, final quarter of 2023. As we record here in Central Arkansas, fall is in the air. We're finally getting some cooler weather, so you know, seasons change, things change. We know that's happening uh, in the middle of college football season. Yes. Great time. This, this, by the way, as a lifelong, almost lifelong, well, I'm always a lifelong Arkansan. I've spent every year but three years of my life in this state. I absolutely think this is my favorite month of the year. Hands I, I do love it, but I'm going to tell you one thing, Scott. Um, the spider rubs that come with your favorite month of the year, <laughs> you can have them yeah. because I invented a new exercise routine the other day when I walked through the most massive spider web ever and was still finding pieces of it on me like an hour and a half later, not an exaggeration. So you can yeah. have that, but yeah. otherwise I do love fall. Well, yeah. and since it's Halloween's month, we also add to those spider webs, yes. a lot of fake yes. ones, right? Yeah. They're everywhere. This one was very real, unfortunately. We are here to answer your questions on the Get Ready for the Future show each and every week. Uh, and if you have one, we want to encourage you to get it to us. And we're going to tell you right off the top of the bat and we'll tell you a couple of times during the show how to do that. But the number that you need to know is 501-381-5228. We say that every week on the show. We hope you can write it down, put it in your contacts, make it a part of your uh, uh, contacts in your phone. You can call that number, leave a voicemail. You can send a text to that number, put your question in text format. We'll get it that way. Or you can send us an email if you'd prefer to do it that way. Just send it to show at Get Ready for the Future. Dot com. Our first question today is from Russell in Little Rock. And Russell writes, I'm 39, saving 25% plus in addition to 10% company match. No debt except for my mortgage with 11 years left. Fifteen. I don't know. What the, I think that means he's got a fifteen-year mortgage. Fifteen-year so mortgage. 11 okay. Years left I on got it. sideways there after I said eleven years left. Kids, uh, kids, college paid already. For legacy building, would you recommend a trust fund or custodial account? Well, there's a lot in there from Russell. The question is building on what he's already doing. So we appreciate him telling us that, and a great job. I mean, that's the yeah. first thing we should say here for Russell is at 39 years old, you got a 15-year mortgage, and uh, you're going to have that. Uh, knocked out and no other debt. So you're doing the right things there. I mean, by the time he's 50, that the house is paid for. That's yep. that's a huge step up compared yep. to where most people are. So he's taking care of his retirement. He's taking care of his cash flow. And now he's starting to already at 39, think about legacy building. So when he asks us here, Janet, would you recommend a trust fund or custodial account? I think those are two very separate things. So let's kind of dive in. We're going to need to give some education on what those are. Um, at the same time, kind of help Russell walk through that. There may not be an obvious answer for him, but I think there's some clear differences between what he's talking about, what we think he's talking about, and a trust fund and a custodial account. 
Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people, they think of both of these terms in terms of like the next generation, but they're used in two very different ways, Scott. Yeah. And so on a custodial account, what we thought of, uh, and he didn't specifically name these, but we thought of an UGMA and an UTMA. So Uniform Gift to Minors Act, Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. We'll go through the UTMA as an example. Um, that becomes the property of the previous minor at their age of majority. So uh, when they reach 21 in the state of Arkansas, they've reached age of majority. And so whatever is in that account legally becomes theirs, which is different than mm-hmm. what we think you're really going for when we talk about a legacy. Yeah. Usually a legacy is not transitioned you know, to the, the, uh, the minor uh, when they hit age of majority. It's later on in life. Scott, you want to talk yeah. through uh, an example you had of this with a client? Yeah, I think it's interesting when you use the word custodian from an investment perspective, you know, you think about LPL Financial as our broker dealer, and they are the custodian of assets. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, they don't own the assets. The client owns the assets. They are the custodian of them. And the same is true when you talk about an UTMA account, Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. You open it, uh, in, in Russell's case, he would be the custodian of the account, but only up and until the uh, minor, in this case his uh, child, we believe is who he's talking about, he would then have to uh, no longer be the custodian mm-hmm. at some point in time, which is the age of a majority in the state, which in the state of Arkansas, and he's from Little Rock, uh, is 21. So I've had some uh, experience with this with clients. Uh, it, wasn't a, it was not a father and child. It was a grandmother and grandchildren. And when they came on board as clients here at GenWealth, they already had opened the UTMA accounts for four of their grandchildren. And we brought them over and just managed them while the grandchildren were under the age of majority, which was under age 21. But what happens is, as they get closer and hit age 21, we are legally required to, we would call it, Mm re-register those accounts, no longer from the grandmother's name, remove her from it entirely, and now the child owns the account. Outright, nothing you can do about it. And we saw this coming a little bit beforehand, And but once you're in this UTMA account, there's nothing you can really do about that. So my uh, client was a little frustrated by that, didn't feel like on the front end before she opened it. And again, a reminder, she opened that before she brought the accounts right. over here. Uh, she didn't feel like she was informed of that or didn't clearly understand that that was what was going to happen because the intent for her was to hand that over at her discretion uh, when the child was ready uh, and then for a specific purpose. But she doesn't have that kind of control in the right. account. So we had to turn all of those accounts over to four grandchildren. And I can tell you that one has completely depleted that account and it's gone. And uh, she was not in a good financial situation and felt like she needed it and probably did. Uh, One has used some of it for a down payment on a house, pretty good usage. The other two have kept the money. So you have very different personalities, Mm -hmm. very different Mm -hmm. situations in life, and you have really no discretion over how you transition those assets to Uh, to those kids. I mean, even as I think about what is in our family intended to truly be their legacy, when we think about if something were to happen to me and to my husband, um, you know, before our kids reach age of majority, they're not going to receive, even at 21, even when they are age of majority, they're not going to receive everything in full. It it will be held in trust, which is the other uh, type of account that Russell asked about. It'll be held in trust until various ages where 
it's it's really it's divided up into three stages because here's the reality. Here's why we did this this way. The money can be accessed in the way that we set up our trust. The money can be accessed for their health, welfare, maintenance, and education all along the way as needed. But as far as access to any lump sums, we broke it up along different ages because at 21, I, I don't care how smart you are, you're still 21. And and I'll say that about myself. When I was 21, I did not make as wise of decisions as I did when I was 41. And again, not to say that you're your 21-year-old is going to make stupid decisions, right. but you're taking a risk because nobody knows who they're really going to be at that age. And so most of the time when you meet with an estate planning attorney to set up a trust, they're going to walk through with you and, and talk about your kids and how old are they now and what are your concerns or do you have any, even if there's maybe a special needs type of trust situation, uh, lots of things to consider in that. But the reason we did it in three separate stages is if they get the first third of the money, the assets, and they make stupid decisions, mm -hmm. it's not all gone. Mm -hmm. They get two more shots to make wiser decisions with the rest of what's there in the future. So mm -hmm. um, I, I do, you know, just in general, we're, we're not fans of of the UGMAs and UTMAs because of the full control right. at, at 21. We are fans of having a, a conversation with an estate planning attorney and potentially going the, the trust route and Scott, I, I bet that some people are wondering, like, how can you invest trust assets? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it's it's not really, it, you can invest it in any type of product. Right. And a lot of people probably don't know that. Right. And, and, and then there's the decision whether you're going to put those assets in trust now. Or later. Or, or they're going to go in as a, later at your mm -hmm. death, which you can do that either way. And the other important thing is to mention, to mention here is when you are, the creator of that trust, if you're the trustee, you can make decisions as long as it's not an irrevocable trust. Right. You can make decisions along the way about what happens uh, to those assets. So if there is a down payment on a house for a kid, sure. you know, you still can control that and help out. Uh, you just have more say-so in it. And I think, you know, bottom line here, I think for us is a custodial account uh, is not great for a legacy. It can be a tool to help kids learn about investing, a good educational uh type of account. I have another grandmother who has a grandson and he's only like 14 and she wants him to learn about how an investing works. So she put a thousand dollars in an UTMA, right? Just $1,000. Doesn't right. plan to add to it. If you know, he can add to it once he has the money or take it out, but he'll get to get some investment experience watching that uh, over time. So it can be good for educating kids about becoming financially independent. But if legacy, and that was the question from Russell for legacy building, uh, the trust route is certainly a much better route. All right, so our next question comes from Dominique in Conway. We make $245,000 a year with fifty-five with a $55,000 pension. We are 53 and plan to retire in four years. We invest 40% and max out 401k with the rest in a brokerage. Should we prioritize the brokerage instead of maxing the 401k. Great question here. Good pivot point. You're doing great with the income. You're doing great with your investing. And we're closing in on retirement. 53 is a great time to be thinking about this. You got a $55,000 pension. One assumption we're going to make right off the top here is we're not taking that right now. Yeah. Because yeah. He's, they're 53. So it's unlikely. It's possible that's part of their income. It's unclear from the question, but we're going to make an assumption that's coming up in retirement. 
at some point in right. the future. So the first thing I think, Janet, we should analyze here is the non-qualified question, uh, when because that's the, the part that he asked. Should we prioritize the brokerage instead of maxing the 401k? I think we can probably do both here when we get to the math on that, but let's talk about the, the non-qualified question. So... Uh- Dominique is is 53 and that is is key in this question of mm-hmm. qualified versus non-qualified and the discussion of where the assets need to go. Obviously already maxing out, you know, the 401k um, you've got to look at what resources you're going to need to utilize for your retirement income between the time that you retire at 57 and turning 59 and a half. 59 and a half is a very important age when it comes to retirement income. So inside your 401k, uh, you should have access, and, and I'm going to throw some caveats in here because how you access that money may be restricted within your 401k as far as how often you access it for income and things like that. But you would have access to the 401k from age 55 and uh, all the way to 59 and a half if it stays in the 401k. Many people at the time of retirement decide to do a rollover to just open up more investment choices. So if it moves from the 401k to an IRA, you now don't have access to that prior to 59 and a half without committing to a five-year with you know set withdrawal plan. I don't want to get too off in the weeds here, but the point is you've got more flexibility inside of the 401k before 59 and a half. And then after 59 and a half, it doesn't really matter. Uh, You don't have to be inside the 401k anymore to do that. But then if you want to look at non-qualified assets, you have access to that at any age. Now, they're not going to give you the same tax advantages, but the, the critical question to determine is do you have the ability through non-qualified assets to pay for your expenses of living from 57 to 59 and a half. Mm -hmm. If you don't, then we're going to have to go to the 401k to bridge that gap during that two and a half year period. So let's do a little math just to kind of get an idea of what Dominic and uh, when he says we, I'm assuming he's married, uh, what they they do with their money. So he told us $245,000 a year. Uh, I'm going to assume that's a gross number. So if you assume they're bringing home about 70% of that uh, after taxes, which is a pretty 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 good estimate, that's going to be $171,500 net annual income. And he tells us that he's investing 40% of that. That number would be $68,600. So if you're assuming they're maxing out two 401ks here, the maximum of uh, with the catch-up contribution, so if you're 50 uh, or older, you can put up to $30,000 annually into your 401k. So $30,000 each makes sixty. So take that away from the sixty-eight six hundred, leaves us with about eighty-six hundred dollars a year that is going in to brokerage already. So there's good money going in to both sides of this. I think the question really screams to uh, define your retirement income plan because, as you've already alluded to, Janet, you need to know how much money you're going to need from age fifty-seven to age fifty-nine and a half, and that really only can be determined through a retirement income plan. You need to know on a monthly basis, uh, based on your desires, what you're going to spend over that two-year, two-and-a-half-year time period and beyond. 
And, and, and what those resources are, I mean, yeah. we have um, just in the past couple of weeks um, in meeting with one of our other advisors and some clients, there's one couple that came in that they were questioning whether they were going to be able to retire or not. And they're pretty young and their retirement is actually overfunded and, and mm-hmm. it's going to be fine, no issue. And then we've got the flip side of that where uh, somebody has come in and, you know, they know what their goal is for retirement income. And they they really only have the capacity to do about two thirds of that. And a lot of people just don't know, you know, number one, what their retirement needs are in terms of income. And then number two, what those sources are. So, uh, Scott, you're right. The plan is what pulls all of that together Mm -hmm. in one place on paper on purpose so that, you know, all right, these are the resources that I'm going to have and the sequence of using those dollars, especially retiring before 59 and a half, is very important and would be a critical part of the plan. Yeah, and certainly they're going to retire on much less income than they're making now because they're telling us they're saving 40% of that. So right. that's going to be a much lower number uh, in retirement. But the process for Dominique and anyone listening is to determine what your required income need is first. You know, there's a $55,000 pension here with Dominic. That's not going to happen for a lot of people, but that's great guaranteed income. And we believe that your required income need needs to be met with guaranteed income. You don't need market fluctuations with your investment assets determining how you meet your monthly expenses. It's a cash flow in, cash flow out discussion, right? There's going to be a certain amount of money that goes out that door every month, even in retirement, even if you're debt-free, because you have certain bills to pay. If there's a mortgage, you have more bills to pay, right? That number is unique to you, and there's not much wiggle room there. You you can say, hey, I might want to go to, out to eat and add that to it, but for the most part, your right. basic lifestyle is going to have to be met with guaranteed income. Yeah, absolutely. It It is a critical part of the overall retirement planning process. And frankly, Scott, as we look around in the industry, that is a very unique approach that we take here at GenWealth to start with what is your income need? What is your required income? How much money do you have to have every month where most uh, most financial advisors are really more focused on the product we will get to the product but it is your retirement income need that is going to determine what products you need to get you along that path right because if there is a gap there needs to be some of your investment assets allocated a piece of them to filling that gap getting that guaranteed income up now in dominic's case unless they have a lot of bills which it's not likely they do a $55,000 pension on top of social security likely on uh, with two people right. with social security likely going to be enough but then it comes down to what are you how are you going to take that pension and in dominic's case we didn't we don't know his options but many pensions come with multiple uh, options on mm-hmm. how they receive the payouts. Well, so let's talk about that. We, If it is a single life payout, um, and many times when you're not yet receiving the pension payout and you just have been given a singular number, it is a single life payout. That does not mean that that's necessarily the best choice for you. So you need to think through that, uh, especially if there are things like an age gap between you and your spouse and they're going to need that income if something were to happen to you, if they need 
need that that pension income replaced because fifty five thousand dollars of retirement income is is nothing to sneeze at. So like no. it probably needs to be maintained, and so you might want to look at what would it be if you have some level of survivor benefit. If there's a hundred percent survivor benefit option, or if there's a fifty percent option, and also. If you are taking the life-only payout, you might also consider getting life insurance because if you pass away, let's say you live to, I don't know, pick your age, you live to age 90, but your spouse is still living, they still need that money replaced at that point. And so you might consider uh, looking at some life insurance options if you're in a situation where you have to take a single life payout. So Dominic doesn't tell us how much they have saved, but if they've been saving 40% for any length of time, it's a pretty good idea with that pension that he needs to talk about the legacy planning we had in the first question, right? right? Because you're probably overfunding retirement. But uh, for that desired income, stacking on top of the required income, the discretionary needs, uh, or the discretionary wants, I should say, uh, are met with your investment assets there through an investment strategy that puts the Uh, short-term volatility of the market into long-term buckets. Let it work itself out. What we've seen in 2022, what we've seen in the last month or two in the market, those investments need to be for long-term because we have to grow that income. We have to increase it because of inflation. Mm -hmm. And the only one of only two asset classes that have historically outpaced inflation, equities, real estate, the other. So you have to have some long-term growth on the back end and not touch those and have some short-term uh, risk off assets to provide your monthly income. But the bottom line is the answer to Dominic's question is if you go through the ready to retire process at GenWealth, you're going to get a written plan that shows you on paper, on purpose, your monthly income and how it grows over time and how the investment strategy will create that. So that's how you get your answer uh, with how much non qualified money do I need and then. When you get to 59 and a half, you've bridged that gap and you can get into the 401ks or if they become future IRAs. Great question. Dominique had the question of the week. Yes. And congratulations. And here's what you get. I sound like a game show host. <laughs> we thank can you I, for reaching out. White? I don't know. If, yeah. <laughs> we have our Get Ready for the Future show tumblers right here on display for those of you watching on YouTube or on the uh, live stream. And if you turn in a question and we determine it's the question of the week. We're going to send that to you. We just need Dominic to email us. Email us to show at getreadyforthefuture.com to claim your prize. And if you'll send us a question and we decide it's the question of the week, which we decide every week one of these is, uh, you will be the winner of that Tumblr. If you want to do that, you can just send the question in via a voicemail or text to the number 501-381-5228 or send us an email to show at getreadyforthefuture. Dot com. Let's go to our next question. It's from Dylan in Hot Springs. My wife and I, 52 and 54 respectively, make around $15,000 a year on a dog sitting business. We want to explore additional side gigs like math tutoring and website management to ramp up savings before retirement. What is your opinion on creating an LLC for those gigs. Well, let's give our disclaimer right off the bat, Dylan. We don't give legal advice, so we definitely would recommend that you consult with an attorney to determine whether you specifically should create an LLC for side gigs. But we can talk from the personal 
uh, side of things because both you and I have some experience. Yeah, with this. absolutely. Um, I'll just say my family has multiple LLCs all at the counsel of an attorney. Again, I'm not saying that you need to have them, but I, I'll just say from personal experience, um, some of that we have for real estate uh, that we have, but even my my 20 year old son for a summer you know side gig that he was doing uh, set up an LLC. Now he'll be able to use that in the future for other purposes if he wants to do that. But uh, you know if you think about the name of it, what LLC stands for is Limited Liability Corporation. Mm-hmm. So the whole purpose is to limit your personal liability. It's the liability of the company, the LLC, not of you personally, if something were to go wrong. And, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit when we were discussing this, you know, like when, yeah. when you're walking a dog, um, yeah, right. you know, the, lots, I, of, lots of things yeah, can happen. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'm worried about liability and math tutoring. Right. Um, you know, if a kid doesn't pass the test, I don't know, maybe their mom sues you or something. I don't know, but uh, I'm more concerned about the dog walking situation. You know, if the, if the dog gets off the leash and maybe doesn't come back and the owner is upset with you or if the dog harms somebody uh, and that person is upset with you to have the LLC be the one that is responsible rather than you personally would make me feel better about it if it were me. Yeah. And I've had some experience with this too. I just recently created an LLC for the real estate side of things as well. Prior to that, I was given advice not to do it when I was the, uh, pregame show host for the Arkansas Razorback Sports Network because there really wasn't a lot of liability yeah. there. I mean, people might get mad at something I said on the air, but there there was not going to be... sue you over it. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there, I think it is a, an individual... Uh, what you're going to be doing matters. Uh, mm-hmm, and, that, mm-hmm. and I think that's the attorney side of things. And then I think the other side is the tax question. That may be even what Dylan is kind of talking about here. Are there some tax advantages uh, to create an LLC rather than 1099? And that's a CPA question ultimately because there may be some expenses um, that you have with these side gigs that you could use as a tax deduction. That would be a CPA question. But from an investment perspective, I think whether it's an LLC, Janet, or you remain 1099, Either way, if you uh, are wanting to ramp up retirement savings, which is what they say in their question here, mm-hmm. uh, there are some options to do that. Yeah, so you can you can look at setting up a, uh, a retirement account. So you know, in larger companies, you hear people talk about a four hundred one k. That's not what you're gonna consider at, you know, this small business level, what I would probably look at is a SEP IRA. Um, and that's what we use for self-employed. Um, so that's even though you would set up the LLC, uh, potentially, you can also do this. And in doing so, you can set aside uh, up to 25% of your compensation or $66,000 is the cap on that. So uh, on your side gig, you know, uh, congratulations if you hit that $66,000. <laughs> cap on that that would be fabulous doesn't sound too uh, side anymore yeah exactly uh if if that's if that's 25 percent of your side gig comp uh, just quit your full-time job and mm-hmm. move on with that but i i applaud you number one uh, for the hustle uh yeah. because you know we're wired that way around here we we love work i think work is a is a gift not a a uh, a curse 
And I, I think that it's really good to see people who are willing to make their own way, whatever that, that might take. So we applaud you in that. And I would just encourage you to talk with uh, a CPA and or an attorney to get some, you know, more personalized answers on the LLC question. Yeah. How, how about the hustle? We should point that out because we have had questions on the Get Ready for the Future show many times before of, is it too late? Is it too right. late for me to, to get to my retirement savings where they need to be? Here you got a couple in there. 50s and they're recognizing they need more in savings mm-hmm. and they're doing something about it. They are. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Gr- congratulations to Dylan from Hot Springs. Hope that our comments uh, helped. Uh, but again, I think the, the route you need to go there is an attorney and even a CPA to determine if that's right for you. We'll say it's a not a painstaking process, not terribly hard to do that with some help. Final question of the show today is from Stacy in El Dorado. And she writes, what should I do with my retirement accounts if I'm planning to move out of the USA? That's the first time we've gotten that question. Should yeah, I cash yeah. out and pay the penalties or keep them in the USA until I turn 60? I'm 51 now. Well, the first part, let's get this out of the way. Don't think you need to cash out and pay the penalties. We would hardly ever think of a scenario where that would be the right thing to do. Um, secondarily, we need to know a little bit more information from Stacy about where are you going? And why are you coming back? <laughs> yeah, so so there are some restrictions, and, and I'm not even going to worry about naming the countries because it, it might change at any given point in time mm. between now and the time that you turn 60. But you want to think about where we are in a political relationship with the country to which you are moving. Yeah. Um, I, I'll name one of them as an example right now. If you're moving to Russia, there's a whole <laughs> lot of restrictions in place, mm-hmm. You know, things that you wouldn't be able to do. I, I'm thinking that's you know, not uh, the most probable destination for you. So you may be going somewhere where this part of the conversation doesn't even matter, but it is important to really understand uh, what that looks like. And then where is your citizenship going to be maintained? Will you still be a U.S. citizen or are you or are you actually going to change your citizenship and not just where you're living? So the options for you uh, are the same really as uh, someone who leaves a job and stays domestic, right? Stays stateside. You can leave the funds in the 401k. Uh, generally, that's the simplest option. You can continue to maintain the account in your home country and the funds will remain invested in the same way they are currently. You can transfer the funds to what's called a local retirement account. We're not going to get into that, but again, it depends greatly on the country you're moving mm-hmm. to. As Janet has already alluded to, you might be able to transfer uh, the 401k funds into a local retirement account. The benefit there would be you'd be able to take advantage of the tax laws and investment options of the new country. I, that could be a benefit. It could be a detriment because, quite frankly, <laughs> most of the countries I can think of you'd go to have higher tax rates, right. higher tax situations than the United States. You could roll over the funds to an IRA. So if you don't want to keep the funds in the 401k or transfer them to a local retirement account, the rollover could be an option there. It could give you more flexibility with the funds and allow you to access them more easily. And as she's alluded to, you could withdraw the funds. That's the least attractive option because with her age, she's going to take not only a tax hit, but a penalty hit of 10% for not being 59 and a half. Uh, so the options are very similar to if you leave a job. I think it gets a whole lot more complicated uh, when you're leaving the country. But if she's coming back, I think that certainly a big, a good option would be to leave to leave it in, in the United States, either in a 401k 
uh, or an IRA. Yeah, a- absolutely. I- I'll talk a little bit about kind of what goes on behind the scenes um, when you're out of the country and we as advisors have to um, – uh, taking orders sounds so official and like military, <laughs> but that like that's the term for it. If you say, "Hey, I need to sell this, or I need this amount of cash, or whatever," we take that order and and we handle that for you. Um, we had somebody who uh, was in the in the military and was deployed, and so their request was coming from overseas, and we initially you know get an email from them, and of course we can't take orders like that through email, so we had mm. to get them on the phone, which is fine. But our monitoring system through our broker-dealer, and this is not at all uncommon, the monitoring system picked up the country from which that initial email came. Mm. And there was an immediate you know, flag, basically, of compliance going, hey, is this legitimate? Is this okay? So, so don't, don't think that you're going to sit in country X and it won't be known to you know, the powers that be yeah. because that IP address is known. It goes somewhere, and they they know that location. So, um, I would just encourage you to, for sure, play the game above board and follow whatever rules might apply um, to wherever you may be, as far as the the country of residence during that period of time. Yeah, I think the key here is seek advice from a financial advisor. I, I think that you need to work with a financial advisor, particularly if you're going overseas. But at any point in time, I think what Janet talks about there highlights the complexities of everything involved with this. You know, we'd say that often on the show that it's more than just investments, and we're referring to our planning process when right. we say that, but it's so much more than that, oh just the, yeah. the laws, the legislative risk, the the things that change almost on, it seems like, a monthly basis with the laws that govern retirement accounts, how they're taxed, how they could be penalized if you take them out at the wrong time, RMDs, all of these things can be very, very complicated. And if you're not working with a financial advisor who works with these things every day, uh, you're you're missing out on the expertise. I mean, the bottom line is here, you know, take the investment management off the table. That's important too, right? But the advisor that you work with sh- should be up on these things. We read about them. We look at them every day. We work with clients who have dealt with this, these situations every day. It's very important to seek their advice and guidance uh, so you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to be on your own, whether you're leaving the country or you're just trying to figure out if you have enough for retirement. Wow. I walked you, right up. You think you I, did great. You think Roman Roman's in there today, by the way, instead of Casey. He's <laughs> he's doing this for the first time. I think he was just being polite. He said Scott's talking. But hey, we'll take it. I don't want to ring the bell yet. We will <laughs> take it. Uh, however it happened, whether you nailed it or he was just being nice, yeah. we'll 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 do that. It is time for our final thoughts, Jen. So final thoughts. Um I would say, you know, Scott, it, it feels like just about every time that we get one of these questions that we go. Okay, but you had you had one question, and I have now five questions for you, <laughs> because we need more information. Yeah. And and I would mm. I would just say, I think it's important for you as a listener to understand how much we're listening and how much we go. Yeah, but I need to know more about you because retirement, your retirement, is about you. It's about what your choices are, what your income level needs to be, what your resources are, and therefore pulling all of that together, what your personalized plan is on paper, on purpose. If you don't have that yet, 
give us a call. We'd be more than happy to serve you. Uh, Toll-free, 866-653-PLAN, 866-653-7526. My final thought is we always talk about how this show is education-driven, and it is, but we also want to give you some action steps. A free takeaway is this guide. If you're watching on our video version, you see it, me holding it up. Seven Steps to Financial Independence. If you want to receive that absolutely free, you can text the word STEPS to 501-381-5228. Visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash steps or just email us and ask about it. The email address is show at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. And that is all the time we have for this week's Get Ready for the Future show. Always goes by so fast. Get a question into us at 501-381-5228 and you may hear the answer next week. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help us get the word out on building towards financial independence, leave us a rating and review. The Gen Wealth Financial Team is available to you 24-7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment and no strategy can assure success. Securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Independent Advisor Alliance. Independent Advisor Alliance and GenWealth Financial Advisors are separate entities from LPL Financial.